the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bust. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined once again today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. Today we're debuting some new segments talking young pitching and power outages. We're going to begin with a new segment that we're going to open the show with each week, the most interesting player alive today. And this is going to be the guy that is currently the most searched for player on Fangraphs, whether it's a hitter or a pitcher. And today, you guys are all searching for Colby Rasmus. And perhaps that's because we actually had an article published on Rasmus and what to expect from him this year by, I believe it was Jeff Sullivan. And uh, there's a lot going on with Rasmus this year. So, you know, what are your thoughts on him moving forward? Because I, this is a guy who's really so far had a disappointing career after being a, a top prospect in the Cardinals organization. Yeah, he has. Um, I just, uh, I, but I do think that we sort of know who he is. I mean, short, uh, short season blips aside. Um, and it's not like, uh, you know what he's doing right now. I mean, it does, it is kind of crazy because he's taking it to an extreme, but if you said to me, Colby Rasmus strikes out too much. I I would have said before, yes, I agree, and I still agree. Yeah, uh, and he's taking it to an entirely new level, as you mentioned, as Jeff Sullivan mentioned in his article as well. He's striking out nearly 41% of all of his plate appearances. That's Adam Dunn-esque. And his power is up as well, which is strange because he's seeing more curveballs than ever before and fewer fastballs. And usually you would expect hitters to hit home runs on fastballs and not curveballs. So so we, we see that he's probably striking out more because he's seeing more breaking balls. But how would you explain then the increased power? Or is this just probably a small sample size fluke? Well, you know, the article goes into why he's seeing fewer fastballs. Um, and I guess if he's going to continue showing this sort of power – on the off-speed stuff, there might be another adjustment back where they, they start throwing it less. But um, I think if a, if, a, if a pitcher is getting him to strike out that often with the mix that they've got now, um, I, I think they're probably pretty happy with it. Um, you know, I guess his ISO right now is 267. He's got four homers. That's pretty powerful. Um, I just don't see it as a sustainable thing. Yeah, I mean, clearly, and he fits right into Toronto because he's an extreme fly ball hitter, which uh, we've seen the last couple of years, Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion, when Aaron Hill was with the team, he hit a ton of fly balls. It, it seems like that's their hitting philosophy, and, and he was doing this even in St. Louis. So, I mean, this is a perfect fit in Toronto. It's a hitter's ballpark as well. But tell me this, why does he still receive any bats versus left-handed pitchers? He can't hit them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess, you know, I guess the problem is that Rajai Davis um, is not a center fielder anymore, uh, just, you know, in terms of team construction and stuff. Yeah, so that makes it difficult. 
uh, unless they really don't care much for their defense. Uh, you know, I'm looking at a swinging strike rate. It's absolutely insane. He's swinging and missing 18.5% of the time. Um, his four previous seasons, he was about 11%, very consistent in that department. So something is really scurry so far with Rasmus this year. And, you know, every year that goes by, the chances of him having that true breakout year just continues to dwindle. So, yeah, I think we might have seen it uh, with the Cardinals, actually. So they kind of sold high. Yeah, they did. I mean, he had his best year in 2010 in St. Louis. And and that was basically it. So he doesn't really steal bases anymore. Yeah, from a fantasy perspective, he's he's a 250 hitter with uh, 20 to 25 home run power. So, um, and and not an asset in on base percentage leagues, which I thought he would be. So, I'm kind of disappointed in him. And it's just uh, it hasn't been. Uh, I, I don't think he's been great at making adjustments. Is something that I would say uh, across his career because, you know, he, he. So part of this article is that he goes out and says that he likes fastballs better. Well, that's actually not that amazing to someone who's followed had uh, followed his career because we always knew he liked fastballs better, and he, we always knew that he had a hard time um, with sliders and that he, he swung at too many of those in, in bad spots in the, in, the, in the zone. So I think, you know, Rasmus is just now getting to be the most extreme version of himself. And yes, that, that power has some value, but... In a fantasy, in fantasy terms, it's a it's a deep, deep leaguer. Yeah, and you know he's actually turning the magical age twenty seven this year, and I feel like he's one of those guys who's had the prospect pedigree that suddenly one year, and perhaps it could even be this year, maybe next year, out of nowhere, he has that breakout year, and everybody starts diving into the stats to see if this could possibly have been predicted. And we realized that it couldn't, and it's your your typical breakout year out of nowhere that nobody can predict, and somebody in a fantasy league got lucky by picking him up off of free agency, and he has that breakout year. I feel like he's a good example of somebody that it could happen to, because he does have power, he's shown speed at some point, and even though it seems like it would take a while for him to put it all together, he's a type of player that could you know just surprise breakout out of nowhere. So and, and I'd be with you if um, if like contact rate wasn't one of the first things to stabilize. I mean, uh, the good is the, the the higher fly ball rate, I guess, in terms of power, uh, and that's a, that's a sort of early one to stabilize. But um, the bad is that swinging strike rate also stabilizes sort of early. So uh, yeah, Adam Dunn light, which is barely <laughs> rosterable. Yeah, very true. <laughs> but I wanted to move on to two young pitchers who, unlike Colby Rasmus, are actually living up to their potential so far. And that's Shelby Miller and Matt Harvey. And both of these pitchers have started the season in fantastic form. And uh, keeper leaguers are obviously salivating at the, the prospects of keeping these two pitchers on their rosters for years to come. But which of these two, you know, do you actually prefer for the rest of this year and this season only? Um, I, I have a sort of... My homerism, uh, which sends me towards uh, Matt Harvey. But I have another reason that uh, I like Matt Harvey better, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure what you think of it. I, I know that, um, I know that uh, this isn't quite backed by research yet, but I know that some people are interested in looking at it. But 
Uh, Harvey has uh, a more balanced mix of pitches. Um, he throws a curveball and a change and a fastball. Uh, he throws a curveball and a slider and a fastball a lot, and he throws a change a little bit. Um, Shelby is a lot of fastballs, a, a little bit of curveballs, and that's it, uh, basically. Um, so I wonder if that is that something that you care about. Yeah, actually, that's really funny you mentioned that because I was watching Shelby Miller start yesterday. I have him in three of my six leagues. So I'm a little biased here. I don't own Harvey in any leagues, but I was watching Shelby Miller, and they were talking about how many fastballs he was throwing, and I was just looking at both of their pitch mixes. And and that is important. I mean, that's something that you don't really see. I mean, we were talking last week about Tony Singrani, who who throws fastballs almost every single pitch. And you don't see that very often unless you're throwing 95, which you know Shelby Miller can certainly dial it up to. I don't really feel comfortable with a starting pitcher who relies so heavily on the fastball. You'd prefer somebody with a three or a four pitch mix. I think so, and it's it's, it's definitely one of those truisms that I haven't quite seen. You know, I, I always feel uncomfortable when I'm relying on a truism that hasn't that I haven't quite seen backed by data yet, but. You know, it is something that is sort of right up Bill Petty's alley, so maybe we'll see him do something on it. Yeah, but the thing, I mean, with Shelby Miller's fastball is he has so much rise and late action. You know, I'm not going to pretend to be a scout, and, and the broadcasters were talking about it, but you can plainly see it on TV that he's got great late movement on that fastball. It's a really good fastball, and even though he threw it through most of the time yesterday, uh, you know, it was very difficult for hitters to make contact with, and he was throwing it up in the zone, which is a, a little scary because it can lead to fly balls and home runs. But when it's up in the zone high enough, then they're just going to swing and miss. You just can't hit that pitch. So when you have that type of a fastball, it's it's understandable. But from a, a roto value standpoint, you would prefer Harvey. Are there any other reasons other than the, the difference in pitch mix? Well, I think the difference in pitch mix also um... – informs the their difference in swinging strike rates and, and strikeout rates um and uh <clears throat> i just have more confidence because there you have so many hitters of different types and this is sort of how it plays out having a better pitching a bigger pitching mix matters you have so many hitters of different types if you have more weapons and you have more ways to get the different types of hitters out lefties righties pull guys oppo guys you've got the you've got a solution for each of those guys if you've got different pitches um, if Shelby goes up against Colby Rasmus, right, then um, Colby's going to think, well, you know, everyone's throwing me fewer fastballs, so I'm going to sit curveball and, uh, and be ready for that fastball, you know, you know or I'm going to sit fastball and just ignore all the curveballs, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, it's just a either or almost. And, you know, I think that he'll find a way to feature another pitch, whether he emphasizes I mean, he's thrown a couple cutters and you know he has to change up, whether he you know picks a game where he uses the change up a little bit more just to surprise guys. You know, starting pitchers have to do this a lot, and they have to go through lineups three, four times, and they they have to have a career you know with many, many years in it. So there'll be other there'll be other Shelby Millers, I think, um, in terms of he'll have a different approach in the yeah. future. I mean, Miller essentially all season has been fastball, curveball, and that's it. He's thrown, according to PitchFX, he's thrown his changeup 1.5% of the time. Everything else has been a fastball or curveball. And that's not really what you want to see from a starter. 
So it's a bit concerning. I, I think I do, even though I'm biased with Shelby Miller since I own him, I think I do prefer Matt Harvey. I think he has greater strikeout potential. However, I think Shelby Miller's control right now is going to prove to be better. So I, I would be concerned about Matt Harvey's walk rate rising. I also think Shelby Miller's offense is much better than the Mets' offense. Uh, both parks are pitchers' parks. So I think Shelby Miller might benefit from more run support. So he might get an extra win or two here and there. And, and that's going to be offset by some more strikeouts from Matt Harvey. So I do think it's very close. But by a nose, I'm going to go Matt Harvey. But I don't think you can go wrong in either of these guys uh, for the rest of the season or in keeper leagues. Yeah, they're both both premium talents. And uh, I did I did what I could this offseason in, in keeper leagues to get uh, Miller. I thought the, uh, the helium on uh, – on Harvey had gotten to such a point that I couldn't buy him in the offseason. I mean, people were already drooling about him coming into the season. So Yeah, and I can't imagine that drooling has stopped given Right. <laughs> Don't bother trying to get Harvey right now, I feel like. It's gonna cost you too much, you yeah. know. Is now a part- and probably probably the same for Miller even. Yeah. Okay, I want I wanna move on to uh, some surprising news. Uh, yesterday, Jason Hayward had an emergency appendectomy. So this is a guy who has been killing owners for the first three weeks by not hitting. Then he has this emergency surgery, and now he's going to be out another couple of weeks. That is as frustrating as it possibly gets. What is an owner to do? And, and better yet, should non-owners see this as an opportunity to try to buy low? I think so. Um, I know that appendectomies can be pretty crazy and also emergency ones are, are always worse because um, you know that meant that pretty much something had exploded inside him um, but uh, I I have to believe that you know I've seen people recover from this pretty quickly he's young you know so a 23 year old appendectomy he's an athlete um, and we liked everything about his uh, sort of bad ball mix and, and his approach this year before that. So um, he's got to be pretty cheap to get right now. Yeah, I mean, we, we loved Jason Hayward as the ultimate by low last week. And however, that appendectomy definitely scares me. If you recall, back in 2011, Adam Dunn had the same procedure at the beginning of the season. And look what happened to him. He batted 159, only 11 home runs, and 415 at-bats. Now, obviously, Adam Dunn isn't the same physical shape as uh, Jason Hayward <laughs> is in, and he's obviously a lot older. And and we have no idea, really, if it was the appendectomy that Dunn was returning from that affected his performance. We don't know. I mean, it's still speculation. We, we never got a real explanation for his absolutely horrible season. But... It would make sense, and it, it's very possible that he just could never recover from it, and it affected him all year. So that concerns me a bit about Hayward. I would have had no problems trying to buy low from him before the procedure, but this kind of makes it a little more questionable. You don't know how long he's going to be out for. You don't know how it's going to affect his performance when he gets back. So would I try buying low? Probably, but now I would try to buy a lot lower from his owner and, and hope his owner maybe even bring up Adam Dunn to his owner to to kind of throw in the potential fear of him you know having a, a disappointing season all year when he returns because of Adam Dunn 
Yeah, I could. I mean, you're you're scaring me a little bit. So, <laughs> um, I I I guess what I would say is, you know, gung ho, full force, buy low in in a dynasty or keeper, where you know next year is a viable outcome. Um, so you know what I mean, like. If, if it's okay that you might have to wait till next year uh, to get you know a star level outfielder for whatever you're going to pay for him, then then do it. Um, for this year, yeah, try try to make it super low. Uh, but you know, if let's say the Hayward owner needs a pitcher and you can get him for like Alex Cobb, <laughs> like you don't know that Alex Cobb is is you know Alex Cobb has inherent risk, you know, so. Um, and even his upside is nowhere near High Hayward. So um, would I ramp that up to Alex Cobb plus a usable outfielder like uh, Andre Ethier? I think I would. I mean, those guys to me seem pretty replaceable. That's a and, very reasonable trade-off for you laid out there that I feel like a lot of listeners could actually potentially offer. And it, it's a, I think that's a re- very reasonable offer indeed. Yeah, and then you can go to the waiver wire and get a guy who might hit you 20 homers and 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 just go searching for another a pitcher and all the while have Hayward sitting there on your DL, especially in head-to-head leagues because in a roto league, you're losing out on these at-bats while Hayward is sitting. But in head-to-head, if you can stay afloat, stay in the championship hunt and get to the playoffs and then, oh, hey, look, Hayward. Yeah, agreed. And, and I want to move on to someone who might actually be on the verge of a breakout year. He's near and dear to your heart. I'm talking about the New York Mets, the dude, Lucas Duda, your man crush last year. You know, do you own Lucas Duda on your teams, any of your 8,000 teams this year? No, I don't. How do you manage that? He might be on the verge of a breakout, and this is the year you don't even own him. What are you doing? Embarrassing. I had him in one league uh, for a little bit, but then I just faced a roster crunch, and I'm not, I'm not convinced – it was an on-base percentage league, and it was a 14-teamer. So that one I'm embarrassed. I think I should still own him. You don't because... own him in Tout Wars either. I, I just – I don't know what to say. Well, I mean, on some level, there's there's uh, people playing me because they know I like Duda. <laughs> so there's there's guys who will take him around before they think I'm going to take him uh, because they're aware that I've liked him in the past. So I got – I did get him in some mocks, um, you know, before the season started. Oh, oh well, that – yeah. Uh, Mock drafts, that's all that matters. As long as you get him in mocks, then that'll be enough for not having him in any real leagues. I <laughs> hang my head in shame. <laughs> you, as you uh, should. So, <laughs> so Duda, five home runs already in 44 at-bats. His batting average is a respectable 273. He's walked 15 times already, struck out 15 times. So he's got a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. Is this Lucas Duda's breakout season? Well, and one of the things I like is uh, he's uh, he's hitting more fly balls, um, and uh, I always I always wanted that to happen for him. Uh, he's also swinging strike rate is uh, another step lower than his lowest before. So, um, you know, there's a possibility that strikeout rate comes down in the in the minors. He was more 17 to 19 percent, and in the majors so far, he's fluctuated from 16 to sort of 25 percent. So. I'm not sure that we know his true talent um, strikeout rate yet. And obviously, this power is a little bit... I mean, his 386 ISO, I don't think that's uh, Lucas Duda. You don't think he's going to maintain that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, but uh, when we're talking about um, 
you know, what I wanted for Lucas Duda last year was a 280 season with 20 homers and 80 RBI and uh, an asset in on base percentage league. So maybe 280, 350 with uh, 20 homers, 80 RBI. That, uh, you know, I don't think was that unreasonable this, last year, and I think it's super reasonable for this year. Yeah. Well, uh, so I'm looking at his plate discipline metrics, and this seems to me obviously it's early, so the small sample size caveats always apply, but this looks like a new dude. He's swinging at only 30% of pitches, which is way below his 39% last year, way below the 45% average. So he is as patient as ever. And the crazy thing is, is you usually see this from like an Adam Dunn type of a hitter where they're very patient, they don't swing a lot, but they also don't make great contact. But he's swinging and missing not often at all or, or, or very infrequently, as you mentioned. His swinging strike percentage is, is well below the league average, and and that's something new for him. So that's leading to all those walks. And, and the fact that he's not swinging often is probably, you know – getting him called out looking on strikes as opposed to swinging on strikes. So this looks like a, a completely new Duda, and he's always flashed pretty good power in the minor leagues. So there seems to be some sort of an explanation behind it. He's waiting for his pitch, and then he's socking it out of the park. Yeah, I do like his plate discipline stats. I, I break, broke down his swing. Changed. He's, a, he's changed some uh, some things about his swing, and uh, I broke them down, and he's pretty much – Quieted, it, quieted his uh, pre-swing movement, which probably allows him just as much to focus on what's coming as it does to be ready to hit it. So, um, you know, I, looking at his new approach, I like it better because he was sort of waggling his bat around and had a, was all timing mechanism, and now he's a little bit more focused um, as the ball comes in. So, I, I think a lot of it's working out for him. Uh, the the real question is, uh, can he ever figure out how to play defense in the outfield? And I, <laughs> probably no. <laughs> Lucky for the Mets, their alternatives in the outfield is a whole crap of uh, a whole crop. Did I say crap? That was a, a Freudian slip. <laughs> a, a whole crop of uh, like replacement level players. So I don't think he's really in danger of. Uh, losing playing time because of his defense, unless, of course, he stops hitting. But I think he, you know, I hate the idea of, but I'm sure nobody really likes or feels comfortable buying high, but I think this might be the year you might get your 270, 280 year with 25 to 30 home runs because it's clear that his approach has changed. It's worked out so far. He's had good minor league numbers. Eno Saris used to be in love with him. <laughs> so I think he's a guy, especially in on-base percentage leagues, because this does not look like a – well, he's not going to continue to walk at this rate, but he's certainly going to be more valuable in OBP leagues than in batting average leagues. So I say hold on to Lucas Duda. Go out and trade for him if you're not overpaying. I think he's in for a good year. And there's, there's another lesson in here too. Oh, Buy Anderton Simmons next year. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Angelton Simmons, you heard it here first. He's not going to be good this year, but next year is the break. <laughs> 15 home runs, 40 steals from Simmons next year. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to a trio of hitters who have yet to hit a home run this year. This is a surprising group. It includes Alan Craig, Matt Kemp, and one of your favorite sleepers, Mike Moustakis. So we talked about Kemp a little bit last year. So let, let's focus more on Alan Craig and, and, and Mike Moustakis. What is going on with these two? Alan Craig was uh, a trendy 
top tier player I thought was extremely overvalued in leagues this year, so I do not own him. Uh, Moustakis, though, with his fly ball rate, thought he might be a 25-30 home run guy. What are your thoughts on these two? Yeah, actually, what's what's interesting about Craig is that he's always been uh, he's always hit more ground balls than fly balls, so it, that's always been great for his batting average. So I do believe um, he'll he'll turn it around on the batting average front. He strikes out less than the league average. Um, he's not necessarily fleet of foot, but he it's, he he hits more uh, ground balls than fly balls. Um, so I think that's a good combo for him to get the batting average back up to 300 or so or at least 280, but definitely better than what he's doing now. Uh, but, you know, his power was always more uh, above average than it was uh, great for a first baseman, you know. So uh, I might revise my full season uh, projections for him to um, a little bit downward to sort of 280, 20 homers instead of uh, adding power to what he did last year, which was 22 homers. I, You know, I'm not going to – I'm not going to – deck him too much for for a cold month um you know in terms of the weather um and uh and and i don't th- and i don't think i just say i don't think he is who we thought he was going to be necessarily yeah and craig's actually an interesting guy and, and he's someone that if you want to group by low candidates into different buckets he's in that bucket where he had that breakout year last year gets off to a slow start and that makes for a really good by low because now a lot of people are probably doubting his performance last year and thinking, oh, maybe it was kind of fluky, maybe I was wrong, while he still has some value from preseason, let me get rid of him now in case last year was a fluke. So that might really help non-owners buy Alan Craig low, but the, the bottom line is that he hits in a, a, a great spot in a very good batting order, so all the counting stats should be there. And you're right, this is not a 30 home run guy. So I think, again, he was a little overvalued. He's probably more of a 20-25 home run guy, but that still plays. He makes good contact, so he should have a good batting average. Though I still think he's a pretty good buy low. But what about Moustakis? Uh, he's he's very interesting. I mean, he's hitting a ton of fly balls, which is normally good, except when they're not going out of the park. He's popping it up all the time. He's not hitting line drives. All that is bad, but he's making the best contact of his career, and he's walking more often than he has as well. Yeah, well, you know, the walks weren't ever supposed to be part of his game. Um, so I'm not too into that. But he has he has shown a career of making great contact. So I, I, I do like that. I just, the, the pop-ups are killing me. I and mean, it's, not, it's not just a few too many. It's like leading the league in pop-ups. And you look back now at his uh, three-year career, and he's, he's basically hit... 19% infield fly balls his whole career now. And, of course, that's a misnomer. I mean, his career has lasted uh, just 1,000 plate appearances. But, I mean, that's still 1,000 plate appearances of hitting the ball straight up in the air. And that's not good for his uh, batting average, and it's not good for his power. So I'm kind of down on him. I'm, I mean, I'm down on... I'm just down. I just I don't know what to say. I want I want him to figure it out. And I'm yeah, not sure. yeah. I mean, he's somebody that you you just you hope you look at his minor league stats, his, his prospect pedigree, and you just hope that one of these years his batted ball profile improves and he, he quits hitting all those pop ups. He gets a bit more line drives, and you would think that he has the capability of 
uh, posting a higher home run per fly ball ratio than 9%. I mean, 9% is below the league average. And this is a guy who posted a 340 ISO in, in double A in 2010. And it's just not happening. So I, I think I'd feel more comfortable buying low in an AL only league. But in a mixed league at this point, he's not he's not going to hit, hit for batting average at all. He's going to kill you in batting average. Um, it's not a great lineup. And he's not hitting a, a, a premium spot in that lineup anymore because of his early struggles. So in a mixed league, I uh, I don't think I would buy low. Yeah, he kind of you know what he reminds me of is uh, remember that year Aaron Hill hit like fifty five percent fly balls, and uh, he that year he had a thirteen percent uh, infield fly ball rate and uh, a one ninety six Babbitt for the entire <laughs> year in 580 plate appearances and hit 205 for the year. Um, I guess the good news is he had 26 homers that year. So uh, I guess if you hit it in the ball, the ball in the air long enough, some of them will start going over the fence. But um, yeah, the, the fly, the infield fly, I think, I think there's probably too many fly balls. You know, I think there's, is. there's is a thing that exists. that's too many fly balls. Yeah. If you don't have the power of somebody like an Adam Dunn, then and you're only hitting your fly balls out at a 9% rate, then you're clearly hitting too many of them if it's over 50%. Yeah. yeah. All right, I, I want to get to another new segment that we are going to be doing. Uh, I don't know if it'll be every single show or, or once a week, but it's going to be the Bull and Bear segment, and we definitely need a better name for this because Bull and Bear is uh, a little generic, and, and we're beyond being generic here. So the Bull and Bear, we're going to debate a player, the pro-con, and, and I got this name. He's the most added player in CBS Sports Leagues, Garrett Richards. You know, are you a bull or are you a bear on Garrett Richards? You know, the stupidest thing is that I can't remember which is which half the time. Um, <laughs> bull is, yeah, a right, bear. Exactly. Is, oh, I don't like I think it. I'm the bear. I, but I'm not a bear because, you know, I don't like men, first of all, but uh, the, I'm, I'm bearish on him because um, I mostly just see two pitches. And so I see a bit of a Bud Norris situation going on. Um, and it's young Bud Norris because he has, he has velocity like Bud Norris used to have, uh, but it's still just two pitches. Okay. Well, that was a very concise explanation. So thank you very <laughs> much. Uh, and I, I, do, I completely understand the comparison to Bud Norris, and, and it makes sense. But the difference is Bud Norris is a fly ball pitcher in a ballpark that is not very good for pitchers who are fly ball pitchers. And and Garrett Richards actually induces ground balls over his career over 50% to left-handers. So even if he's not as effective against lefties, he's still inducing a ton of ground balls, and that's going to erase a lot of the base runners that he puts on. Uh, via the walk or, or, or via the hip because he has allowed uh, over a 300 bad bip against him. But also, y- you can't really ignore that velocity. But Norris's velocity has dropped every single year. He's down to like a, a 91 to 92 average on his fastball. Garrett Richards throws 95 miles per hour. So he's going to be able to get away with a lot more than Bud Norris has. His swinging strike rate is 11%. He's throwing first strikes at a 60% rate. And he's struggled with control at some times in the past, but it looks like he's got it under control this year. 
So when you throw 95, you, you can get away with a lot more mistakes. Even if he has some slight platoon issues, I think since he's going to be obviously facing a lot more uh, righties, I think he'll be plenty good enough to have value even in shallower mixed leagues. Yeah, and I definitely hear you on the ground ball rate, and that was uh, one of the reasons I I sort of struggled to uh, decide which side I was on. But you know, then I looked at his ground ball rates in the minors, and they were uh, they were always slightly above average, but they weren't really elite. And what happens as you get um, higher, higher, and higher, you usually lose uh, ground ball rate um, as you uh, sort of go up in each league. So um, I, I'm sort of surprised. Also, there's no there's no like obvious reason for it. He's not a sinker. Um, he's not really a sinker baller, and the curveball um, is kind of a flyball pitch. You can use it to get grounders, but it's kind of a flyball pitch. So I don't look at his his arsenal and be like, oh yeah, he's throwing a split finger and a sinker, so that's why everything's on the ground. So maybe he's just throwing it low in the zone. That does um, that does lead to ground balls, but. Um, it, uh, it also says something to me about it, it's more of a location thing and he hasn't had the best track record of control. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that he's going to be a great reliever. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't know if that was a backhanded compliment or not. But, <laughs> but also remember, he does pitch in a, a good pitcher's park backed by uh, an excellent offense, especially if Josh Hamilton starts to hit. So he's basically got everything. He's a great environment between the offense and the ballpark. And so I, I think that he will earn some value in mixed leagues. Definitely a guy in uh, AL-only leagues and especially keeper leagues I think he's worth going after. But there are the red flags that Eno mentioned, so you have to be wary of that. And, and that could potentially be his downfall. But we won't know until the end of the season who is right, and uh, that'll do it for us nope. here on a nope. wonderful. Yeah, we just—I just got a confirmation text message, uh, and it looks like we've got uh, might be breaking news. It looks like your boy Andrew Kashner is going to start on Friday. Well, I'm very, very excited that this is all happening after I dropped him in like half of my leagues. <laughs> so. Yay for the timing on that. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, of big fastballs and, and, uh, and nice uh, secondary pitches, I mean, big fastballs at least. So he, he has three legit pitches, though. I mean, his, his slider and his change are really nice to watch. And uh, I think if, even if you don't own him, he's worth, uh, he's worth watching on Friday. Yeah, well, put it this way. We, we, we don't know if he's going to be staying in the rotation all year. But if he's available in your league, I don't care what size, I don't care if it's a three-team league, pick up Andrew Kashner, please. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. He's one of those go around and just check all your leagues and pick him up. <laughs> yes. All right. so I, I wish that I was sure that uh, he would come up. Uh, I wish that I was sure that he'd come up and stay in the rotation um, from the get-go just because I know that they're, uh, they're working on you know, stretching him out. So what if he, they pitch him like, you know, just exactly five innings on Friday and then, you know, skip a start and do all that nonsense. But um, the talent is, is worth, um, you know, making making room for. Absolutely. All right. Finally, that'll do it on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. Join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. 
Thanks for tuning in.